Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. Quick reminder, there's sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Buzz and all the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. So if you're interested, you can go to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship and you can get all the details. And if you've got something really cool working with V6, we definitely want to hear about it. So come join us on the V6 Buzz um, and, uh, and we can chat about it. So I'm Ed Horley with my co-host Tom Coffeen. Tom is traveling this week. So Today we're going to be talking about security with Scott. I'm going to I'm going to interview Scott almost like he's a guest, <laughs> right? Which is which is going to be a little weird since we're so used to the banter side of things. But I I figured this was I realized uh, that we had never really done like an intro to security for V6 show before, which is like how dare we not cover this subject in more detail. So Scott, welcome to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ed. Happy to be here. It is weird because I know you know a lot about IPv6 security and you could talk about all of this, you know, yourself. You could do the show solo. No, yeah. no, no. That that's a, that gets even more awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Asking yourself questions. Yes. Yeah. It's just like talking to yourself. But um I let's let's jump in and let's I, I think for much of of the folks that are listening, they probably have a pretty good handle or at least a good fundamental understanding around v, maybe V4 security and like mm -hmm. principles, operations, you know, probably a little bit of best practice or or at least dabbled in and, you mm -hmm. know, configured firewalls, ACLs, maybe done some host-based security and have a pretty good idea. And, and I guess the obvious place to start is, is there really a fundamental difference of approach of maybe V6 security? security compared to like v4 security maybe that's a good place to start i don't know yeah i mean we always recommend following the same operational model for v6 as you do for for v4 and you know whether it's dhcp and dhcp v6 or ospf v2 and ospf v3 you know use the same thing the same approach just adjust a little bit for v6 that the same recommendation we've made in the past applies to v6 security too so you know, when you're deploying v6 you're you're just layering a new protocol on top of your existing topology so v6 doesn't change like i say the v6 doesn't change the number of vlans you have in your data center right doesn't change where you have trust boundaries where the firewalls the ips's the content filters where all those things are located it's just you know the differences there are some subtle differences though that i think you need to be aware of like okay. and we've talked about those things in this show you know router discovery neighbor discovery on a LAN are different mm -hmm. you know with v6 use of link local addresses extension headers the plentiful supply of addresses changes how we think about link local or remote reconnaissance it right. changes Scanning. how attackers yep. yeah may do fast flux or it may change how a defender does moving target ipv6 defense mm -hmm. okay. or, or changes their addresses frequently to avoid being attacked the uh, servers can have multiple addresses or many or have none. <laughs> you can be real creative about how you come up with the interface identifier. And, and then also with IPv6, with the lack of NAT, that changes how we view the credibility of source addresses. Right. With V4, we're used to, you know, them all being changed every hop practically and reputation data is not as valuable. Right. Uh, so... All of these little edges and the subtle differences are where attackers, threat actors can can focus their energy or where we need to then prepare to defend. You know, but we're still going to use stateful firewalls, IPSs, proxies, DDoS, 
WAFs, CAs, PKI, single sign-on, VPNs, <laughs> AV, patch management, vulnerability scanning, like all that stuff, you know, yep. we still do. It just needs to be configured for V6 very slightly, but you you need to be sure you're defending both those attack surfaces for the V4 and the V6 attack surface equally well. But yeah, right. you're right, Ed. <laughs> cool. All right. So so let's pivot on the sort of the attack surface side and maybe the Mm-hmm. The both protocol approach, um, mm-hmm. because I think many organizations who are going to be new to V6 are really trying to sort of grok the landscape of what do they have to do to secure themselves. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even if they make the decision that they are only going to run IPv4, and there are going to be certain shops that do this, mm-hmm. um, right? They still need to secure V6, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, yeah. I think this is a lost subtlety for a lot of people in terms of what's going on. But so maybe maybe talk a little bit about you know, why that's a thing, uh, I guess, uh, in today's landscape, which really gets back to sort of like what we've said all along is V6 is on by default and, and preferred. So you you need to have some sort of security posture in place, right? Yeah. And that is, you know, what, what Eric and I refer to as the latent threat. You know, we have in many security practitioners, you know, maybe don't realize that we've already deployed IPv6. We have those hosts on our networks. They come with IPv6 enabled by default. Even if you've, you know, even if you haven't intentionally deployed IPv6, well, guess what? You deployed IPv6. <laughs> Congratulations. You know, we we have remote users that are using it at home. If they have 3G, 4G, 5G mobile devices, users could be traveling in a coffee shop or goes to a conference. They they could have this and so have V6 connectivity to the internet or to SaaS applications. Mm-hmm. And security practitioners, if they're waiting for the network team to tell them, hey, we're getting ready to deploy IPv6, we should get a strategy around securing it. They're, they're waiting, you know, but they maybe the security practitioners haven't spent time thinking about these little edge subtle differences I just mentioned. That aren't so they subtle were, anymore because so many yeah. people are working from home and, you know, now the conferences are back. I mean, just to put it yeah. in perspective, you go to Cisco Live, you're going mm-hmm. on a V6 network. Yeah, they 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 enable the entire Wi-Fi network at Cisco Live to be mm-hmm. V6 capable, which means they're not looking any different than how many of us operate at home. Which is now mm-hmm. for many of the, you know, Comcast, Spectrum, etc. They all have dual stack enabled CPEs. You're getting V6 at home. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a security policy that addresses that specific use case, you you know, it gets back to yeah. what we had talked about in previous shows about sort of, you know, you know, some sort of VPN breakout, right? <laughs> where, yeah. where where you're going and accessing resources that maybe you don't want that individual to access, but because they're at home, suddenly it works for them just fine. Right? Yeah. So Yeah. So the security practitioners, they haven't spent time thinking about V6. So they also may lack visibility to that. Or when a user is remote or at a conference, they don't know that's happening. Right. They may they may have tools that don't give them that visibility, but they haven't taken any steps to really build a strategy or or done anything proactively. Yet these remote users could be using it, and mm-hmm. so really this there's this latent threat that Eric and I talk about. And the the first step is to acknowledge that V6 is already deployed. Right. You know, admit you have a problem, and that, <laughs> and that the, this is actually those V6 enabled computers are used internally and on the internet. Right. And then the second step is create a plan, try and be proactive, try to secure it right from the start rather than have be on the back foot later and then realize you have a risk or a threat. 
Right. And just and just for everyone on the on the podcast, Eric is is Scott's co-author on the IPv6 security book for Cisco Press, uh, Eric Vinky. <laughs> Yeah. So, hey, Eric. <laughs> hey, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. um, so, uh, yeah, I, th I think it's super important that people understand that aspect of it. Because often when we've sat in meetings, uh, Scott and I have gotten to sit in quite a few meetings with security teams. They're very dismissive of the V6 discussion overall, uh, mainly because they don't want something else on their plate. They already feel like they're overwhelmed. Uh, that's not an unusual answer for them. It's like, how do you expect us to deal with even more stuff here? You're not funding us uh, for any of this sort of stuff. Why in the world should we add this to our plate? Mm -hmm. But they just don't realize that it's already on their plate. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just not defined in a specific way that is, you know, sort of granular and on the list, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and they just don't realize that. And so sometimes it takes a little bit of back and forth to get to the point where the light bulb goes off and they're like, oh, we really do have to deal with this because it's already on our plate. We just didn't really <laughs> realize it was there, yeah. right? Um, I think I think that's been a pretty common, um, pretty common experience, at least for for us, right, Scott? I'd, I'd say that's yeah. that's not uncommon. Yeah, the common reaction is, "Oh my gosh, then we're not ready to secure it. Let's let's turn it off. Let's turn it <laughs> off. Let's turn it and, off." And then that's a whole different uh, discussion. <laughs> yeah, and you can't you can't you could spend a lifetime trying to turn it off and not get it everywhere because yeah. you, you can't uncompile it out of some kernel, some host operating systems. You can't remove it yep. completely. Uh, you can't remove it from a, a printer. Right. You know, it's just going to do its thing. Edited devices. It's, you yeah. can't extract it. And so I often recommend, you know, learn about it, be knowledgeable about it, gain visibility to it, be, turn it on. And then you are in a much better position to proactively control it and, and and you know really secure it right from the start don't yes. don't be fearful of it lean in <laughs> yes 100 percent. I, I i i couldn't agree more especially around the visibility side the, the that sort of observability because if you're taking mm -hmm. log files if you're getting data from the network if you're getting alerts about what's going on with v6 then you have data that you can react to as opposed mm -hmm. to just being like well, it's just, you know, ship in the night. I don't see it. I choose to be blind to it, which is really what you're saying. If mm -hmm. you don't, if you don't choose to embrace it, you choose to be blind to it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's not a great approach, especially when you're in charge of security. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. When your job yeah. is to be nosy to sort of know where everything's going on, you would have no clue. This is literally like a private subversive out of band network being built. You would have no idea the, what was going on, you know, shame on you for not bringing v6 into the fold and having it as something that you're operationally getting understanding about yeah. in your environment yeah because today security practitioners absolutely want to know who has what ipv4 address and mm -hmm. what's their mac address what right. ethernet switch or wireless access point is it associated with where is it in the network why don't they also want to know the link local addresses of those devices because they all have link local addresses mm-hmm yeah, and if they yeah. have global unicast, what's their global unicast, and, and how they're doing registering themselves for DNS? Do they, you know, what's the preference? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't agree more. Uh, what I, maybe that dovetails into, you know, you know, part of the thing is as a security practitioner, you're probably paying closer attention to what your security industry, both colleagues and, and manufacturers are doing, mm -hmm. right, to a certain degree. Um, I mean, what's, what's your sort of observation or, or sort of, you know, 
I don't know, biased or unbiased opinion around sort of the security industry and what's where things are at. What's the state of security overall for sort of those vendors and product platforms and endpoint and DLP and like you know, <laughs> everything else that goes in the mix for folks when they're build, trying to build a security portfolio to secure their network, to secure their end users, to secure their their intellectual property. What, what What's the state of the industry right now in terms of V6 support and compatibility? Yeah, security vendors. I, I think they're they're focused on zero trustifying anything they do. <laughs> you know, it's a current buzzword, like, right? Like cloud washing. You know, they yep. they try and change what they do, and they're focused on that and the marketing. Uh, and maybe they don't have the IPv6 features that they currently have for v4. Ed, you've you've written and spoke a lot about feature parity versus functional parity and what to look for when assessing a product and what can it do and is it is it equal you know but but many security products do have v4 dependencies that are significant they an example would be like thread intel feeds they may have the ability to contain a v6 address 120 bit 128 bit address or a prefix right but maybe it's just not as well populated or they they, you rely upon reputation filtering or geolocation, geoblocking databases, but the data is just not in that Intel feed. Or, you know, security information event management systems, they may be able to get v4 and v6 data, but they are in no way binding those two address families. So they lack knowledge of how those two protocols fit on the topology and and overlay one another. And, and so there yeah. is this correlation, correlation invasion. Yeah. So yeah. they can't do cross address family correlation or root cause analysis. Right. So you don't Many, know if, you don't know if, if an, a bad actor is choosing V4 for one side, V6 for the other, and like streaming them together. Like you can't actually figure that out if you don't have that correlation information. Right. Yeah, exactly. And there's, there's VPN services that are available to the public to help them protect their privacy. And they'll, those VPN services, when you look to see if they support IPv6, they actually have pages telling you how to turn off IPv6 on your end host <laughs> because the VPN service doesn't support it. Right. It's a huge weakness. So you'll also see like dynamic application security testing. So DAS scanners, you mm -hmm. hire a service to keep watch on your website over the internet and scan your site constantly for OWASP top 10 attacks. I've I have found that none of those vendors will do that scanning over IPv6 transport, like none of them. <laughs> yeah, Godzilla facepalm for sure. That <laughs> <laughs> is bad out there. Also, like let's say you you use a, a deception technology, a product that creates synthetic uh, decoys of right. computers on mm -hmm. networks and. None of those vendors support IPv6. And if I was a real crafty attacker who had gained a foothold in a network and I'm talking to other laterally pivoting on a network and I see nodes that have a V4 address but don't have a link local address, that's weird. <laughs> that's probably a decoy. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So there's whole swaths of security products that don't have V6 capabilities. It's it's really bad. But now Gartner you know, doesn't consider that IPv6 is an enterprise requirement. So if you look at their magic quadrant and you, you know, like 
CloudX as security brokers, which they coined the term of, they don't consider that IPv6 is something that's used on the internet or something that an enterprise would care about. And so you really have to be careful and do your own evaluation to say, well, if if I think I'm using IPv6 on the internet, which you are, and I'm going to invest in a CASB solution, uh, I should make sure it works with IPv6. So you have to do more additional work on top of what Gardner is already providing from a data set in order to understand whether they have v6 capabilities or not. You can't trust them across the board for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, not even just trust but verify, but just verify. You got to perform your own analysis, figure out the v6 capabilities of your current vendors, what they do have or lack. You can read the release notes and documentation, look at forums, but you can reach out to the vendor directly. Sometimes you can request a meeting, meet with the product teams, try to understand their roadmap. That might give you, uh, you know, options. Kind of, right. and then based on that data, you kind of have four options. One, you could switch vendors. That's an expensive proposition, and it's it's heavy opex cost to right. switch vendors, yeah. even if the price of the product was the same and the yearly maintenance was the same. And you kind of need a compelling reason or a compelling event, which is, hey, I'm up for software maintenance, or right. I need to upgrade the product hardware or something. Yeah. And if you just bought it, you're not going to ditch three yeah. years of support and like exactly. all this other sort of stuff. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to sweat that asset. But if you bought something that's V4 only, you, that could be a long time. Right. You could develop a compensating control. So maybe find another product, COTS or open source to then you know, patch that hole yeah. that you have. You could deploy IPv6 anyway and just charge ahead and accept the risk and have a vulnerability, a weakness. That would be bad. Or you could <laughs> del delay the IPv6 deployment. And you have to be careful with this because there's still CISOs, risk. Right? CISOs don't want to be perceived as a foot dragger. Well, they still, failed to they failed to de develop an IPv6 security strategy over the last ten years. They've had ample time to do it, right? So, well, and you, you still have say, the you still have the exposure too because of what we yeah. mentioned with the latent threat. It's still there. You're just mm -hmm. choosing to put it in a box, mm -hmm. recognize it, but it's still there, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. those are kind of your your four options. If but but figuring out where you stand is the first step. That's really important. Right. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Well, I mean, I, I guess I, we don't want to, we don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole on the security <laughs> stuff, but maybe, yeah. maybe we can uh, give the listeners a, a, a few resources, maybe a couple things to talk through and, and a way to start exploring, you know, more information around V6 security in general. I think there's probably some future shows that we could be doing in a, in a lot more detail around a bunch mm -hmm. of these specific topics, because I think, they're pretty important for organizations to have some understanding about uh, about where they're at. But what's what's some? And I'm going to plug one automatically because your book is is still considered a, a great benchmark for for V6 security, which is IPv6 security from Cisco Press. You and your co-author Eric uh, wrote that, and it's and well, granted, it's a little bit long in the tooth. I think I still think there's tremendously good information in there that people should be referencing in terms of just understanding the principles. There's a lot of principle stuff in there, along with some practical, obviously, application side. But um, uh, I would tell people, go go grab Scott's book. It's still available. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, I, I'm really proud of that book, and it was fun to write with Eric. And um, yeah, I think it contains the, the good foundation. But it there's been new uh, evolved, you know, uh, protection measures, 
uh, like first hop security that didn't yeah. exist back then. Those RFCs didn't exist back then. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's, I think an important point. You need to catch up to date in regards to the security stuff. And Scott, what's, how do, how, how are folks going to do that? What's, what's makes the most sense for them resource wise in terms of catching up to date on a bunch of that? Yeah. A really good RFC is operational security considerations for IPv6. So Eric and NO and Marik and others have worked on that RFC 9099. That's a great overview all in one document got covers all the topics. That's a great, great place to look. Uh, I teach hands-on live hacking, defending IPv6 classes on occasion. So that's also a, yeah. an option potentially too. Yeah, that's, and I, as, as someone who's gotten a book around in, in Scott's lab, uh, if you want true hands-on, like crafted packets, like the whole works, <laughs> like you get deep into the packet weeds <laughs> around that stuff. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, 9099 is really a really good start. And then from there you can jump off and, and look at other RFCs. Uh, many great RFCs created by Fernando Gaunt as well, and that those are very current. Yes, and Fernando's been working pretty furiously on a whole slew of, of RFC submissions and drafts, so definitely someone you want to pay attention to if you're on the mailing list for V6 Ops. You're going to see a whole heck of a lot of stuff from Fernando right now. So Yeah, he's fantastic. He works really hard, and we all appreciate what he does in the yeah. ATF. Yeah, for sure. Well, hey, I think, I think, I think that's a good spot a good spot to sort of pause it on the, on the security discussion, but we can, we, I think we have a lot more to talk about it around that, that particular subject, probably along with a, a bunch of others <laughs> in, in addition yeah. besides the security side, but yeah, very, very cool. Well, Hey, unlike V6, we've run out of space for the podcast. Um, you can reach the IPv6 buzz podcast on Twitter at IPv6 buzz. You can also hit up each one of us on Twitter. Uh, Tom is at IPv6 Tom. Scott is at Scott Hogan. I'm at E Horley. Thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like the show, please give us a rating on iTunes. And if you like this podcast, we really recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Day 2 Cloud, and the Network Break Podcast, plus all the other great technical content over at PacketPushers.net. So long and until next time, we'll see you on the internet. The IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6